Sir Alexander Mackenzie was an early Canadian fur trader and explorer who accomplished the impossible when he led an expedition across Canada to the Pacific Ocean. His incredible journey was completed in 1793, 11 years before Lewis and Clark began their famous expedition to the West. Mackenzie's earlier attempt in 1789, however, had been a major disappointment. He and his fellow explorers had set out in an effort to find a water route to the Pacific. The Valiant Group followed the mighty river, now called the Mackenzie, with high expectations, paddling furiously amidst of lots of danger. Unfortunately, it didn't empty into the ocean, not the, not the Pacific, but to the Arctic Ocean. In his initial journey, Mackenzie was disappointed, but ultimately on his second journey, his hopes and his dreams were fulfilled when he touched the water of the Pacific Ocean. This journey that we call life can be so full of so full of so many surprises. Uh, and that's true in our day to day. We have so many surprises, so to speak, in our world and in our culture and in our community today. The journey through life that we have uh, in our lives, um, many times things don't come out in our journey the way we expect. At times we see that we uh, trip into detours and deviations. We encounter sometimes uh, with joy, sometimes with heartaches and disappointments. We see this in the life of Dr. Lenore Campbell, a small town doctor who tells a story of visiting a patient who was waking up after surgery. As the woman awakened in the post-op on the second floor of the hospital, she could hear chimes sounding from the church in town. I must be in heaven, she murmured. Then the woman raised her head and saw the doctor standing next to her. No, she says, I can't be in heaven. Dr. Campbell is here. There will be a day when we will awaken from the drowsiness of living in a fallen, sinful world. And we, who truly know Jesus as Lord and Savior, will not be disappointed. And so as we live between the dream and coming true, we walk on our journey towards that hope. Now walk is a word that the Apostle Paul has chosen to use in his letters to those of us in the church to describe the journey with God that we have in life through the mountains and the valleys and the rivers of life. Last week we saw in the first 16 verses of Ephesians 4 that God's expectations and standards for those of us who have surrendered our hearts and lives to Jesus is that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by becoming one in Christ in cultivating an attitude of unity in the midst of our faith. In the next section here, Paul goes on to explain how that happens and how we can do that. Corporate unity, he argues, is a consequence 
an outgrowth of personal purity. Uh, If our walk with the Lord as individuals is pure, then our walk together will be one of unity in purity. Disunity, division, and conflict are evidence that the individual members of the body of Christ are not walking the path of purity that they are called to. We read of this in our text for today. Paul writes, Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In these words, Paul appeals to those of us in the church to leave our old way of life and turn to Jesus for a new life. The Bible makes it clear that we are either really, really saved, or we are not. So when Paul says that we are to no longer walk as the Gentiles do, he is saying that there is a Christian walk, a new life, and then there's also a non-Christian walk, an old life, and they do not share, share that same path. There are two paths, one saved and one lost, and they do not cross. And in our text for today, Paul explains in detail the difference between these two walks, these two paths. The difference between the old life of being lost without Christ and the new life we've been given through Jesus Christ on the cross. In our text for today, Paul begins by first challenging us about our walk without God. For those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, who think that we can deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus, but who are still walking the path of the old life, is a path, Paul says, that is one of futility of the mind, darkened in understanding, alienated from the life of God because of ignorance due to hardness of heart. This, Paul shows us in this text, that this is the progression of sin that we have. Uh, the downward walk, the downward path of our journey without God that begins with a a stubborn, hard-hearted rejection of God's word. Paul tells us that progression begins with the hardness of heart. In the original Greek here, the word means to be petrified. Unsolved sin, unrepentant attitudes, and self-centeredness have a petrifying, a hardening effect on our hearts. And once our hearts are hardened, 
we read, we fall into ignorance, which literally means to become aware. When we focus on our wants, in our desires, in our opinions, in our feelings, we are no longer aware of anyone or anything except ourselves. And then we are, then when we're hardened and then unaware, then we become darkened in understanding. The greatest disease of the community of faith suffers is the shallowness of understanding who God is, which stems from a spiritual apathy to not to even care about the depths of God. Many who claim Jesus Christ are often just as unsatisfied, just as unfulfilled as those who don't need Jesus because they try to appease their craving for having a deep, intimate relationship with God with toys and pleasures of the world instead. God's word here tells us that those who walk in their faith this way suffer from futility of their minds. This is a life which is alienated from God and makes callous, makes callous, makes us callous, excuse me there. Uh, We are given up to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. So, hardness of heart toward the reality of sin first leads into darkness of mind, then to deadness of soul, and finally to recklessness in life. Brothers and sisters, we lose our lives when we lose our sensitivity, our awareness, our intimate affection towards God. Some of us are walking down that path and you're farther down the path than you should be. Some of us are pretty good at stepping off the path quickly. But as sinners, we all do walk that path. And regardless of the length or the depth depth of that path, that path is a downward slope towards eternal destruction. Sadly, some who claim Christ still linger on that path with little evidence of a new life. And Paul challenges us today to consider where we are in our walk with God. Now, this is a hard thing for most of us to do. Truthfully, we have a hard time with this. Romans 3.23 tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in 1 John 1, we read that if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. And also, we read, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But while these verses are true, we also must remember that regardless where we are or where we have been on that path of life, the Bible, God's Word, calls us to make progress in our walk. Paul, in our text for today, shows three ways we can progress there. First, Jesus Christ is the teaching of what we have learned. When we do wander wander down the path that alienates us from God, Paul shouts out, but that's not the way you learned Christ. Yes, we do learn that Jesus is the Word who became flesh, the Son of God who died for our sins, rose from the dead and reigns now and forever. 
But we must learn that Jesus is even more than that. In God's word, we also learn that Jesus demands that we live new lives, which, is, which are dramatically different from our old lives. We read that in Jesus' words when he calls us to follow him. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take his up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Secondly, not only is Jesus the teaching of what we have learned, Jesus is also our teacher. Paul here writes, assuming that you have heard about him. When we hear about Jesus, we are hearing Jesus. Not only did Jesus preach and teach great divine eternal truths, Jesus' life itself was an open book of instruction on who God is and who God wants us to be. The teaching of our Savior can be applied into every corner of our lives, in every circumstance, no matter what the situation is. In other words, Jesus taught us about Jesus, about who he is, and what is ultimately most important in our lives. Thirdly, Jesus is not only the teaching and the teacher, he is also the context of the teaching. Paul writes, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. We learn Jesus and we learn about Jesus in him. Everything we do and everything we say and everything we learn is to be done in the context, in the atmosphere, in the rea reality of Jesus' presence in our lives. Jesus is not some far-off heavenly superman who swoops in at the call of our prayers. Jesus is always with us. Christ dwells in the hearts and the lives of God's people. Jesus lives us. We live and learn and are glorified in him. God's word is telling us, God's word is teaching us that we are always to live our lives in him, in Christ, and live out our lives in him, in Christ. Paul uses the phrase in him or in Christ 27 times in Ephesians and 164 times in his 13 epistles. What we are to learn is, is the truth as the truth is in Jesus, Paul writes. What is the truth in Jesus? The truth in Jesus is that in confessing our sins, in acknowledging our need for God, in repenting and turning away from sin, and turning to and embracing Jesus as Lord and Savior, we have then forgiveness and eternal life through the shed blood and risen body of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his life as a sacrifice, as payment for the penalty for sin that God requires. And all of these things so that we can now put off our old self, which belongs to our former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of our minds 
and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Brothers and sisters, our new life in Christ should be radically different from our old life in this world. We are called to put off our old self and put on our new self. The truth of words God here is, it's not simply enough to die to your, own, your old life. You must also put on the resurrected and risen life of Jesus Christ. Putting off the old self does not make us a new creation in Christ. Putting on the new self does. In Romans 6, 4 says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. What Paul is saying here is that dying to sin does not give us a new life. Living in Christ gives us a new life. While putting off the old does not save us, we must put off the old self before we can put on the new. Paul's words here tell us that our former manner of life, our old self, was corrupted through deceitful desires. But in Jesus, we now have a new self which has been created in the likeness of God, a a new creation of our original state, which is of God's true righteousness and holiness. In our new self, we are in Jesus, and our walk in Jesus must be constant and continuous and ever growing into the glorious love and grace of God that we were created for, all through the renewing of the spirit of our minds. Paul is telling us that salvation is not a one-time event. It's not a one-time commitment. Living in Christ is a persistent, purifying, ceaseless yielding of one's heart, mind, soul, and strength under the guidance of the Holy Spirit for the glory of the God. The Apostle then tells us what that continuous walk of purity looks like. Therefore, he writes, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away for you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. In these closing words of Ephesians 4, God's word gives us five clear-cut, rubber-hits-the-road evidences of a true and pure walk with Jesus, in Jesus. A walk that gives evidence not only of putting off of the old self,
but also of a putting on the new self in Christ. The first evidence of a pure walk in Christ is truth, Paul says. Put away all falsehood, let, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. There is only one truth, but there are two kinds of lies. Lies of which we speak and lies of which are, we are silent. Some lies are of speech, even if they may have partial truth. Sadly, we see this kind of lie often in the church in the form of gossip and murmuring. But truth which is not spoken is also a lie. Silence in the face of untruth is a sin. Since we are members of one another, the body cannot function properly unless our communication is built on truth. Lying betrays trust and it's a cancer in the church which will kill the body. Those with a pure walk always speak the truth. The second evidence of a pure walk in Christ is anger. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Scripture teaches us there are two kinds of anger. One is righteous, the other is unrighteous. Anger which is selfish or uncontrolled or directed against people is unrighteous. Anger which is directed against sin and ungodliness is righteousness. Anger is only righteous if it is free of pride and spite and animosity and revenge. If not, it is unrighteous anger. Be angry and do not sin. There is a great need today for righteous anger. As God hates sin, so should we. John Wesley said, Give me a hundred men who fear nothing but God and who know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified and who hate nothing but sin, and I will shake the world. Today, brothers and sisters, we are way too comfortable with our sin, far too willing to compromise with ungodliness, far too tolerant of unrighteous anger. And we are suffering the consequences. We all need to be angry about all sin. Also, unresolved, unsettled, righteous, unrighteous anger is one of the greatest causes of division and strife in this world and in the church. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. If we allow barriers and hurts to develop in our relationships and we do not make efforts to confront or mend those conflicts, the devil then has a great opportunity to sow dissension and disunity through the whole of our unhealed breach in our lives and in our fellowship. We must confess our wrongs, admit our needs, seek forgiveness, and gracefully forgive others as Jesus Christ forgave us. The third evidence of a pure walk in Christ is honesty. Let no thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so he may have something to share with anyone in need. These words reflect the Eighth Commandment of the Ten Commandments. This one here is, we shall not steal. 
these Old Testament and New Testament directives still have wide application for us in regards to people's property and possessions, but also in respect to the things we do in life, like paying taxes and treating our employees well and putting in an honest work for your wages. Notice, though, here, Paul does not say, be honest in your work so you can become wealthy. Instead, he says, we are to be doing honest work with our own hands so that we may have something to share with anyone in need. Those who are truly walking with Jesus see work not as a way to accumulate, but rather as a means to sacrificially distribute, distribute and give away. The fourth evidence of a pure walk in Christ is our talk. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as such is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Our sovereign, omnipotent God created everything by the power of speaking words. In being created in the image of God, our words have great power also. Jesus taught there is great significance in our speech. Our words reveal what's in our hearts. So words have great power. But the Bible tells us that one day we will all be called to account for every careless word that we have spoken. If we are truly a new creation in Christ, our words should encourage, exhort, and heal. We are to give grace even when disciplining and correcting. We read here also that unkind, hurtful, offensive, or insulting words grieve the Holy Spirit. Since we've been sealed for the day of redemption, we should think that way then and act that way and talk that way communicating with one another with the same spirit that redeemed us. We are to have all of our conversations to be redemptive conversations. Our words should always reflect the cross. Every spirit-filled believer should seek to salt their conversations with the glories of God, not the accusations of the devil. The fifth and last evidence of a pure walk in Christ is forgiveness. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. Here we read there is a clear difference between two sets of behaviors. One side, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, which means shouting at one another, and slander. And then on the other side, kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is probably one of the most difficult verses and concepts in God's word for us to put in application. The secret of practicing the pure work of God in forgiveness is to look upwards and outwards instead of downwards and inwards. Upwards at God, knowing that it is God 
who forg has forgiven us through the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Only by God can we stand forgiven and justified before God. In outwards at others, knowing that no matter who you're talking to and whoever and what they are they ever doing, there but by the grace of God we could be them. So then we love others as Christ loves us. But then, but not downwards, standing over and judging people, and not inwards at ourself, where our self-centeredness of our heart pridefully beats, waiting to cry foul at the most minor hurt or feeling. This uh, particular evidence for a pure walk in Christ very well could be the most important of all. We see these words in Jesus when he spoke in the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, when you, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This particular principle is repeated numerous times in the Bible, which means God is trying to make a point. And that point is if we refuse to forgive someone, God will not forgive us, period. No exceptions. Every one of us. And this is a hard for us because forgiveness is hard to do. It was hard for Jesus to deal with forgiveness too. Praise God, he went to the cross for us. Brothers and sisters, we are in such of need of Jesus. Because we all possess deep within our hearts the fallen nature that started in the Garden of Eden, the new life walk of truth and anger and honesty and talk and forgiveness is arduous and difficult at best. These words written by Paul almost 2,000 years ago throw before us a great challenge to live above our current established principles. The grand task of raising the bar, raising the standards of purity in our lives and in our walk with Jesus Christ. As I studied and prayed and wrote this week, I saw these principles in this text divine principles and applications that had great meaning to me as I went through them. But I felt I was like Alexander McKenzie, seeking a destination while face, face, facing many mighty rivers filled with hazards, unknowns, mysteries, and dangers. What this means is, in the context of our walk with God, is that Wherever we are in being a new self, wherever we are with our old self, we are called to find the destination, the real destination that we're called to. And that destination is Jesus. Without Jesus, we would never have the power to put off the old self or to know the purity of the new self. I sense uh, many in our midst, and myself included, hunger and yearn to move deeper with God in our walk. But I also sense that's not true for everyone. And some of us are satisfied where we are. 
And if that's you, know that I am praying for you today. I am praying for you because I fear that you will miss something. And that something is an eternal walk with Jesus in Christ. Now some folks aren't too happy when I bring this up. But Matthew 7, we read Jesus uh, addressed this issue when he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The point Jesus is making here is that we can claim to be followers of Jesus and even do great things for Jesus But if we are not deeply and intimately known by Jesus, everything we've done is lawlessness. And whether we've done it a lot for Jesus or nothing at all, it's the same. If Jesus says, I never knew you, he never knew you. You see, the Bible teaches us that knowing Jesus happens when you truly have a true encounter with Jesus Christ. No one that ever had an encounter with Jesus walked away, shaken in some direction. Now, those encounters sometimes come in like a tidal wave, but sometimes, too, just come down by a slow rain. But nonetheless, it is dramatic because it it changes us from the old life into the new life. The dramatic putting off of the old self and a dramatic putting off of the new self is evidenced by the melting of our hearts, by an acute awareness of sin, by yearning for a great understanding, greater understanding of God, learning about Jesus, listening to Jesus, seeing Jesus in the context of, of every day in our lives, and by embracing the truth of God and anger about sin, and honesty in relationships, and a talk that matches our walk, and a forgiving spirit that is rooted in the grace and mercy and love of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus had a dramatic transformational effect on every person he encountered. They either angrily rejected him or fully embraced him. Those who embraced him were looking for a new life. Those who rejected him We're not. A story is told of a man who bought a new radio, brought it home, placed it under his refrigerator, plugged it in, and turned it on to uh, WSM in Nashville, Tennessee, the home of the Grand Old Opry. He then pulled off all the knobs of the radio because he had already tuned the radio into all the songs he ever expected and wanted to hear by the standard that he said his musical taste would be set without moving. I fear many who claim Christ are still living that way too. They're settled in where they're at and they're not moving. And if that's you, know that I'm praying that you will want more Jesus in your life. It's been said some people will change when they see the light but then others change when they feel the heat. 
I'll be praying for both, for all of us. Those who truly know Jesus want more Jesus. And they don't just talk like they want more Jesus, they walk like they want more Jesus. Even in the face of hazards and unknowns and mysteries and danger all around us. And brothers and sisters, we live in troubled days. Our world today is saturated with fear and anger and division and violence and death. And there are many people, most people, who are caught up in what's going on in the world, which means they are wandering away from God. And they will be struggling with hazards and unknowns and mysteries and dangers. And they don't know Jesus, and Jesus doesn't know them. Brothers and sisters, I've always believed that our faith in Jesus Christ on earth is something grander and greater than coming to church. We all know that deep inside that we are created for more than this, what we're doing right now. The tragedy of life in Christ is not that it ends too soon, but that we wait too long to begin. Our faith in Christ on earth is not about our final destination. Jesus' death and resurrection has already saved us. Our faith in Christ on earth is about how we walk on the path to that destination. Walking with Jesus in the new life that he has given us can be just as full of joy and glory as our final destination. So let us put ourselves, our old selves off and put on our new self and walk in Christ with purity, with our eyes focused on Jesus because we know Jesus and Jesus knows us as we face the mighty rivers filled with hazards and unknowns and mysteries and dangers all around as we passionately proclaim the glory of God in Christ for the joy of all people. And all God's people said, Amen. Closing with the text from Isaiah 43 where uh, God tells us who he is and what, what path we should be walking. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not for I have redeemed you and I have called you by name and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Heavenly Father, we bless you, and we praise you that you are God. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and your love, and your mercy and your immeasurable forgiveness towards us. Lord, we ask that by your Spirit, you would empower us to walk through this life for you and in you with purity, with you and in you. And Lord, help us to forgive others as you forgave us in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Receive God's blessing. 
not to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen.